It's good to be with all of you and all of you here in person as that skeleton crew, but trusting in faith that there are a few other people who are with us online or maybe checking in later in the week. And so good to be with all of you. Have a start off question for you to reflect on and perhaps share in the chat around. And that question is, when was a time in your life when you felt a particular longing for a sense of home or belonging? A time in your life when you felt a longing for a sense of home or belonging. So take some time to share that in the chat or with people who are watching with you in person in your homes, and we will check back in in just a few seconds. Well, I overheard, I hope not too creepily, with our skeleton crew here, the term road trip, which is actually where my own uh, mind and heart went as well. Right before I moved from San Antonio to Austin, actually right after, uh, I went on a road trip out to Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is a place that I have uh, visited many times. It's where my parents met and where, where they got married before they moved to Austin. And most of my mom's side of the family in my growing up years lived either in West Texas or in southeastern New Mexico. And so several times a year, we would make this seven, eight, or nine hour, depending on how fast we were making time and how far we were going, trip out there. And I can remember for this uh, kid who grew up uh, in a fairly urban area of Austin and in this lush area of central Texas, just feeling like the energy sort of draining for me the further we got away as we got into this barren land. And the, the telltale sign for me would be when I would get the scent of oil in the air for the pumps that were pumping uh, that oil. And I wouldn't feel like, oh, this this is the scent of being displaced and dislodged for me. This is the scent of feeling like I am a very far, far away from home. And that's the way I felt for, for much of my life, though I loved connecting with family who was out there. Uh, I didn't really ever feel like the land uh, or this very rural area uh, spoke to my heart. And I was counting the days, counting the hours until we would be able to return to central Texas. So when I took this trip, and it was very quick, my parents were talking to me about one of their favorite tamale places, uh, which is in between, actually, technically El Paso and Las Cruces, and how it had been a long time since they had been able to make the trip to go out there. I thought, you know, I could do that. Like, I have a few days off right now where I have nothing to do. I'm just going to jump in my car and drive out there, have a massive cooler, load it up with as many tamales as they can possibly fit in that, and bring it back uh, to my parents for them to enjoy. And it really was initially for me, this kind of utilitarian trip. It's just like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to push through. I know I don't really love going out here, but we're going to make it. I'm going to do this. This will be a nice thing for my mother and for my father. And maybe it was the fact that I was listening to Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow on audiobook as I was going out there. Uh, maybe it's just time that has passed, but this trip that I had made over and over and over again was experienced in a very different way for me on this particular time. As I saw the, the hills and the mountains and the barrenness and even the smell of oil, it was like this pleasing aroma, which may not be good. I don't know how many brain cells that means I might have lost, given, kind of taking in those deep breaths of it. 
But, but it was all of a sudden like this thing that had felt like a duty and a task all of a sudden felt like this pilgrimage to this place that unbeknownst to me had come, had been transformed to have this new sense of homecoming, this new sense of a place where I did belong that I had never really felt as a child. And it was incredible for me to see uh, West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico transformed in my heart in that way and to really feel like I was taking a journey home rather than uh, going to this place that for much of my life uh, had not been something that made my heart sing, I guess we could say. Uh, the Hebrews had experienced hard years of exile. The prophet Jeremiah speaks in a time where the northern kingdom of Israel has already felt the hand of Assyria crushing upon it, and the southern kingdom of Judah is surrounded by all sorts of world powers, and their position looks tenuous at best. And so it is into this time of exile, into this time where the people really wondered, will life ever be like it was? Will we ever have a sense of normalcy again, where they had already been delivered from Egyptian slavery centuries before, where they had wrestled in this conquest period with the Philistines and the Canaanites and all sorts of other ites that they were uh having this conversation, it's a pretty bloody conversation, to be honest about how are we going to share this land and what is that going to look like? There had already been all sorts of cycles of oppression and freedom that they had undergone, and it looked like they were about to be going back into another cycle of oppression, another cycle where they were not going to have the same kind of autonomy that they had enjoyed before. And so Jeremiah speaks into that location. And Jeremiah 31 verse 8 says, See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. Verse 9, the weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. Jeremiah envisions a time of returning, a time where the exile will not be all that they have known, where these seasons and cycles of going in and out of oppression will come to an end. But it is not envisioned as this season of going from strength to strength, but instead is this path of weeping as they are processing through and lamenting the trauma, the very real pain that they have experienced. This exile has occurred. It cannot be denied. It cannot be glossed over. It's a real challenge for the people. And yet Jeremiah has hope that God's radical love can encompass humanity in such a way that even people who might otherwise have been left out, the blind, the lame, people who might not have seen like they would have been invited to make this long trip back because it might be seen that they would be a burden to their community, that they are going to be invited into this community that is going to make the journey back. 
that home is real, that it is going to happen, that they should not give up their hope. Jeremiah speaks to these people who have been dislodged from their sense of place and tells them that though these difficulties are present and cannot be circumvented, they will be invited to release, to let go, to process all that they have been experiencing. In the much maligned film adaptation of the Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen, our teenage protagonist starts off the film on the first day of his senior year of high school, and he's typing out a letter to himself. That's an assignment from his therapist. He's trying to believe the upcoming year will be different than others, but he is being overtaken by his inner monologue that keeps pushing back. He's, he wants to lean in to that. Maybe this as a, as a new school year can be different. Maybe finally things can be better than they have been. And yet that talk finds him. He's, he starts typing, dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day. And here's why. Because today, all you have to do is just be yourself, but also confident and interesting, easy to talk to, approachable, but mostly just be yourself. That's number one, obviously be yourself, but like a confident version of yourself, like approachable and interesting and not weird or anxious or depressed, but you're not weird or anxious or depressed. I don't even know why you'd bring that up. You can't be scared to talk to people. You said that you'd be better. You said this year would be different. You're overthinking it. Do you like having no friends? All you have to do is just be yourself. And in this intro that is very similar in both the musical and in the, in the theatrical musical and in the, the film adaptation of it, we are introduced to Evan, and at least for me, it's this very real sense of, ah, this is someone that I can understand. I, I know what it's like. Probably many of us have known what it is like to try at a new year when we've made a move, when it's a new school year, whenever there's seeming like you're entering into this new moment to want to believe that things are going to be different, but to be overwhelmed and to be inundated by all these voices that are trying to tell you, yeah, maybe that could happen, but, but you're going to have to be different. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to find something, or others around you are going to have to figure some things out, that there are all of these kinds of changes that will need to be made if things are really going to be different Evan, like many of us, is struggling to trust who he is and to trust that who he is is enough. We sometimes in these seasons seek to satiate our thirst for newness and wonder by doubling down on novelty and willpower. For years, we may have made lots of resolutions, and then it seems now maybe perhaps that it's more in vogue to not make resolutions. You know, we're so over that. And some of that may even betray this sense of like, we're, we're kind of over the newness, though we want it, though we long for it, though like firecrackers that maybe some people, whether they were supposed to have them or not, were shooting off in your neighborhood. We, we like this, the moment, the sensation, the big sparkle, but just like that, it's gone. And so much newness in our life and in this season can feel that way. We eventually become fatigued by those rituals of resolutions and sometimes become soured in suspicion. 
In John's gospel, at the time of Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years have passed since Jeremiah's day. The Hebrews have known oppression under the thumb of the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. It has just been cycle after cycle after cycle. They're longing to be a people participating in the dream of God to bring justice, liberation, love, and peacemaking in harmony with the creator of all. But it seems to continually be frustrated. Alongside these cycles of being conquered by nation after nation, the wisdom tradition flourishes and comes into prominence. Some examples from our tradition are found in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but there are also other books in what is often called this collection of the Apocrypha, like Sirach and Baruch and Maccabees, that are also speaking to this idea of wisdom. And wisdom is this person to be pursued, is this person to allow mentor and guide you, who can accompany, who you are to be willing to leverage all that you have to be able to walk in the way of wisdom. And wisdom is personified as this lady, this elegant woman whom we are to follow. And it is Lady Wisdom who during much of this time of upheaval and transition, the Hebrews have leaned in to her as the guide who can bridge them from their not yet frustration into this unknown future that who knows when or where or how it will become. And so in the opening of John's gospel, we encounter the word There are those echoes, we didn't read it, but in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And there's echoes of the Genesis text that are there. Uh, But there's this idea of word, this logic, this reason. And it would have been the thing that was incredibly in vogue in that moment in the larger Greco-Roman culture. Everybody was talking about the logos, the word. And so John's community borrows this idea to say, yes, there, there is the word, but we are going to tie the word to what God is doing through Jesus in the world. But if you had been a part of this Hebrew culture that had been journeying alongside Lady Wisdom, that had been listening to texts and having conversations and reflection about what it looks like to be shaped and formed by wisdom in these challenging years. As John's community speaks to this word, this logos that was uh, all the rage in their larger outside culture, you would have heard many echoes that would remind you of lady wisdom as well. It appears that John's gospel parallels the word and lady wisdom so that they have much the same function in the world. We see that wisdom and word are at the beginning. Proverbs 8.23 says, Ages ago, wisdom was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom has always been there. And John 1.2 reflects this. The word was in the beginning with God. So if you're listening or reading John's gospel and you have been on this journey of exile after exile, you're saying, what word and wisdom, both at the beginning 
with God. We are invited to trust that lady wisdom, the word who will be made flesh, that they were with God at the beginning and invite us into a sense of cosmic belonging and belovedness. That, that we can trust that our lives, though they can feel untethered and though we can feel like we are sometimes lost at sea and tossed around by every wave that we are a part of a greater cosmic sense of belonging and that that belonging invites us to know our own belovedness and to know that belovedness in the face of every person we encounter. Wisdom and word are also participating in creation. Proverbs 8, 29 and 30, when God marked out the foundations of the earth, then wisdom was beside God like a master worker. Wisdom is working alongside God, participating in creation, this thing that was started in Genesis 1 but keeps going forward. And we see in John 1.10, the word was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him John envisions the word just like Lady Wisdom participating in creation, moving it forward, and inviting each of us to see our own lives as sacred canvases where we create with the divine. That where we are is all of us a work in progress. God is not done, not finished. And we can trust that it is not just something that is being done to us, but that we are invited to follow alongside Lady Wisdom and the Word and to participate in our own sense of becoming, of unveiling. And I think oftentimes in the new year, for me, that looks like decreasing rather than increasing. Rather than trying to take something on and add a new thing into my life, it's what can I set aside? What can I put on pause so that I can allow the work that God is doing in me to really take center stage so that it can have time to come to fruition? We also see that wisdom and word are tabernacling. tabernacling. In Sirach 24.8, This is one of those texts from the Apocrypha. It says, creator chose the place for wisdom's tent. God said, make your dwelling in Jacob and in Israel. Receive your inheritance. There's this idea that wisdom needed a particular place for her to do her thing. And so God says, you know what you need to do? Go set up your tent, cast your lot, go move in with the people of Israel. This is going to be the context for you to accomplish what you need to do in the world. And in John 1, 14, we see echoes of this. And the word became flesh and lived among us. That word lived is the same word that is used in Sirach to say tent. It is the to set up a tent, to tabernacle. It is this idea that God's word has moved into our neighborhood. It is finding us in our particular place, in this particular season, in the middle of all of our frustrations and joys, our anxieties and our fears, that God is to be found in the middle of whatever it is we are experiencing right now. It's actually not something to be avoided. It is the site of divine encounter. We also see that wisdom and word are source of sacred. In Baruch 4, verse 1, it says, Wisdom, she is the book of the commandments of God, the law that endures 
forever. For, for this people that had known themselves as the people of the scroll or the people of the book, the wisdom tradition and moved this forward and said, yeah, yeah the, the scroll is great. The tradition and all that we have, the text there, they're wonderful. But wisdom really is the personification of all of this. And in John 1 verse 17, we see much the same. The law, which is like the Torah, indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The similar sense that what God has done through scripture, through our sacred text is beautiful. It's good. It's, it's authoritative, but, but don't miss it. Don't make it the only thing that you focus on because the word wisdom is at work in our world. And will we allow ourselves to be guided by it? We are invited to see God in this wisdom word, transcending traditional gatekeepers to be our guide, to trust that God really is at work in our lives as a sacred site and that we can trust our experience of God. It's important for us to be a part of community and to discern and hear how God is at work in our lives through community. But it's also important for us not to give maybe perhaps certain voices who have tried to be gatekeepers between us and God uh, too much authority, but to really lean into Lady Wisdom's word for us. Uh, much of what I've just shared with you were things that I started to see for the first time. But if I'm just being really honest, I was, as I was looking at this text, thinking like, you know what? I think I've seen some parallels to wisdom in the word that I've never seen before. I bet you people much smarter than I have already seen these parallels and I want to find what they have said. And Mary Collot was the scholar whose work I was able to find who was making lots more of these connections and shared many of the ones that I've already shared with you. And she also says to conclude it that wisdom is present but unnamed in the New Testament resonates with the experience of women in church communities today who are present and active, but their contribution and leadership is unrecognized and unnamed. Like Sophia of old, women today are crying out in the streets and raising their voices, demanding justice and equality for all human beings. In John 1.18, we hear that no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. Though we are using very masculine language of father and son, don't miss, and I think this is perhaps where John sort of tips his hand to us, that wisdom is meant to be here, this very tender maternal image of laying your head on the breast, the bosom of someone that we see happening with the father and son. It's an image that happens throughout the gospel of John, but it is in this tenderness and this vulnerability and this ability to pause and listen to our own heartbeat, to catch our own breath, to also be synchronized with the breath and heart of God that we find ourselves known. At the end of the musical and film, Evan goes back to his laptop and he writes, Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a good day and here's why. Because today, no matter what else, today at least you're you. No hiding, no lying, that's enough. So no matter how hard it gets, even if it feels impossible, this time you'll know, don't let go. Just hold on and keep going. Just keep going. Let's pray. 
We come to worship with Christmas playlists still resounding and New Year's expectations and disappointments still confounding within our being. Like the sage mystics who wandered through the desert to present gifts to the wisdom and word at Bethlehem, we find ourselves as they were, filled with anxiety and anticipation. Like exiles, we find ourselves perpetually displaced and disheveled. Each surge seems to erode away the cohesion of our communities, the creativity we find in collaboration of togetherness, the dreams we've deferred, and our healing, which feels on hold. In our frustration with this place, expand our perception to see wisdom's word partnering with God in this bizarre and stretching moment. Help us to see spirit hovering over the chaos and messiness of our right now. For everything that was left undone from 2021, and for everything that has been undone in us over the past two years, may we know how to behold ourselves and one another in compassion. As we walk through this long night apart yet together, help us to lay down a need for the shiny, impressive, and new in order to embody fully who we are and where we are in this sacred now. In the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen.